Hello, and welcome to Accountability Talks with AGA. I'm your host, Paul Marshall. Today, we speak with Mark Rieger over a retrospective of his career in state and local government, federal government, his roles as CFO, and also with OMB. And uh, it's a great little talk here just to get some insights into his career, how he was successful, and uh, some advice for all of us. So without further ado, here's Mark. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. So we're very happy to have today with us Mark Rieger. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. Okay, so we're basically going to do kind of a retrospective of your life, uh, you know, your career in government, and just to kind of inspire others uh, to follow in your footsteps, hopefully, here. Um, so why don't we just kind of start off with, you know, give us a little bit about your early career, your early uh, school days, and kind of how how things evolve from there. Will do. Let me just set the tone or the the sort of the background for this a little bit. So uh, yeah, my name is Mark Rieger. I will, uh, left the federal service last December as the deputy controller of the United States. Mm-hmm. I was actually in the space of while I was there acting controller several times because I didn't have a boss when I took the job. Dave Mater came for a year and then Dave left and mm-hmm. they hadn't filled the job when I left. Right. And so wound up being the acting controller for a while, which was a great job uh, at OMB in the executive office of the president. Um, the whole time I've had a second job, uh, right. which is I'm currently on the board of a large Maryland-based credit union, SECU. Uh, I'm currently the chairman of SECU and have been since I left uh, the federal government. Wow. Um, and it's it's a great uh, $3.5 billion financial institution that is mostly in the state of Maryland. Um, so let's take a step back yeah. then and how did I wind up getting through this? Because it's a sorted path, uh, path <laughs> right. at best. Uh, graduated Loyola College in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Um, from there, went to work for Westinghouse Electric Corporation uh, for six months. Hmm. Uh, in, in, enjoyed Westinghouse a lot, became the... The accountant, if you can picture that in those days, for a certain radar unit that Westinghouse was making for a certain uh, fighter plane, uh, now known as the F-16. But it's uh, it was neat because I got to go to this new building. I had been in school forever, sat in this huge room, uh, football size, desk to desk with other people. And I had one project, this F-16. Right. The insanity of this job uh, was that we were predicting delivery of radar units to production for airplanes. Hmm. In those days, it was still being formulated. So we were either 100% right because we had delivered one or 100% wrong because we hadn't delivered one. Right. My predecessor had a real bad track record of not getting it right. Hmm. So I, this young kid coming out of college, Um, taking this job, figured out pretty quickly that there was a guy one floor down who was the production manager who knew whether he was going to make his delivery or not. So I introduced myself to him. We had a discussion, and I had this great record of always being right about the production uh, delivery of a a single large radar unit. It was my first forte into make sure you know who's actually got the information you need. Right. And so just an early lesson of a career. Didn't spend long at Westinghouse. Um, Got a job with the state of Maryland, creating the first internal audit function for the Maryland Department of Agriculture. 
Um, spent a number of years there till I moved over to the state treasurer's office. Uh, went on to become the deputy treasurer of Maryland. Um, and then one day went to work and my um, political boss uh, said to me, my political cronies told me last night that I could actually appoint somebody to your job. While I was a career employee, I had moved up through the ranks to the space where my job was appointed by the treasurer. Right. Treasurer had died of a, a health issue. Hmm. New guy came in to be treasurer. We had had that conversation. He said to me, uh, no, 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 you have a great reputation. I'd like you to stick around till that uh, October 15th morning when he said, that his political advisors had advised him they could point somebody for that job, and I left at noon hmm. with three kids in the house, a renovation having just been completed. Wow. Uh, so it was a little shocking. Um, again, one of the themes you're going to hear is it's really important to meet people and do relationships. Absolutely. And so I drove home, which was five whole miles. I live right outside of Annapolis. Mm -hmm. Walked in the house, and the phone was ringing. Walked there and picked up the phone, and it was a guy named Tom Hustis who at that point was the treasurer of D.C. Hmm. Tom and I had been working together on some things. I was the deputy treasurer in Maryland. He was the treasurer in D.C. Right. Uh, and so he said to me, I called your office this morning, and they said you'd left. And I said, yeah, that was true, that the treasurer had asked me if I could find another job. Um, Tom hired me on the spot on the phone, uh, hmm. and for the next 22 days I worked for D.C. Wow. Only there 22 days, 20 days yeah. told uh, Tom I didn't really want to go to work for D.C. Mm -hmm. He had a, a, some banking contracts, and I had a lot of skill in that mm -hmm. arena. So it was good. Uh, went to work for uh, Baltimore County for a little while uh, and had applied to a number of federal agencies. That's how I moved to the feds. So before we get there, so wow, so, so you basically so you started off, well, very short you know, little stint you did in the private sector, so to speak. Yes. Uh, but then, so... And actually, even before that, you know, so you did study accounting in, in college and school, right? Yes. I have a BA from uh, Loyola in accounting. In accounting. So, I mean, did you, how early did you know this is what I want to do? I want to do accounting. Or was it just, eh, let me try this out and see what happens? Yeah. I, oddly enough, I was one of those nerds who knew early on that I wanted to get into accounting. It's very rare, um, you know. It's hard yeah. to know so early, you know. My, my dad had actually been a wholesale florist. Okay. Uh, but he started that career because he went to work as the accountant for an international wholesale florist. Hmm. And I was a little kid then, yeah. grew up going to work with him and seeing what he did, realizing that the accounting was paying the bills. Right. Um, knew I wanted the security of a job that was always gonna be needed. That is true. And that uh, seemed to be a little bit rule-based. Mm -hmm. That was always better for me. Mm -hmm. And so I knew really early on that I wanted to concentrate in accounting. Yeah. Okay, well, that's good because, yeah, again, a lot of folks kind of wonder about, I'm not, I don't know what I want to do with myself. And um, I mean, do you feel that that was important to your eventual success? You had to focus on at least the subject matter you wanted to invest in or, you know, how about folks that aren't quite as sure what they want to do with them? Yeah, quite as determined. Yeah. It, it actually, I think it helped tremendously. Okay. Um, yeah. But then, you know, again, I am a bit of a nerd about this and I, I truly believe that you can learn a lot about things if you can account for things that right. are going on, whether you know where the revenue comes from and where the expenses really are, mm -hmm. and you understand the number process behind any real business enterprise and or your own life. Right. Uh, and so, 
yeah, somehow I fell into that science of understanding the relationship between numbers. Right. It always interested interested me. Uh, it served me well getting to Loyola. I was not a great high school student, but I was always in the advanced math classes. Right. So I had a a a, a bit of a leaning towards problem solving. Right. From a new number place. Okay. And uh, I think it, it did help me long range. It, for, for your listeners, mm -hmm. um, you don't have to know what you want to be when you grow up, right. but pay attention to what you like. You right. know, pay attention to what works for you. You know, a lot of my friends went into sciences mm -hmm. uh, and had served them very well too because they sort of figured out early what worked for them, what right. interests them, which you had a passion about. And so if you followed my career, yeah. um, you sort of see this accounting process yes. uh, keep leading me to new things. And, and you know, uh, whether it's being the first internal auditor to, uh, creating that for the Maryland Department of Agriculture was because of my background in accounting. Mm -hmm. If you think about the treasurer's office when I moved in Maryland, it was because I had an accounting background. Um, when I moved over to the feds, it was to the FCC as the CFO of the FCC uh, because I had an accounting background. Right. Um, and, and so I think that was the fundamental underpinning of my skill set. Right. But it just allowed me to have opportunities. Right. And that's the base, you know, kind of your, your base knowledge and interest area. But then I think from there, and we'll talk about this how you navigated through your career and the networks and the people you met and the, you know, those kind of things are very important, obviously. So um, I guess the first thing, I want to go back a little bit again to the state government work and that kind of, so, you know, some of us work in government, some of us work in, you know, the, the federal, some of us work in state and local. I mean, what, what is your experience looking back, the difference between those two state and local versus a uh, federal government? You know, government is government. Yeah. On the, on the positive side, it would say to you, I, I had exposure to D.C.'s accounting system, to one of the stints was Baltimore County Public Schools for a while, so mm -hmm. that accounting system, and to the federal three basically large accounting systems. Mm -hmm. And uh, for those of you who've not really discovered this, the Fed set the tone. Uh, the mm -hmm. objects and sub-objects in the details are a little different, one yeah. to the other. But even the object classes are similar in all those accounting systems between state and locals and between the feds. And so most of that comes out of the federal grant community. Lots of money leaves the federal government in right. grants. I think last time I looked, it was about $700 billion. And the, the one thing the feds do with their grants is they make you account for how you use the money. Right. And so they require you to report and they require you to report in classes which look a whole lot like objects. Mm -hmm. um, and so that object class activity is very similar in the United States uh, across all those levels of government. Right. Okay. So, yeah, it makes sense. It kind of sets the tone for the, for the state and local. It does. Yeah. And so let me get, now that I've walked around it, let me get yeah. back to your question. Yeah. Is, you know, the I think the big difference that I saw in different levels of government mm -hmm. is just how you're dealing with people. You know, in local government, if you if you really like to relate to the individual on the street, right. the homeowner who's trying to build a house, the businessman who's trying to build his business, uh, infrastructure in various places, yeah. all that actually occurs at the local level of government. Sure. When you move up to the state level, well, now you're managing those locals. Um, 
but you're you're a step removed from dealing with people. Right. Uh, we we still had the taxpayers. Of course. You know, I have vivid memories of taxpayers walking into the treasurer's office, uh, sitting down with us and complaining about our collecting of their taxes. We had nothing to do except we took the receipts. But right. they wanted to touch somebody. They wanted to feel like they had their voice said. And so um, had a lot of relations when I was with the state mm -hmm. with the locals. And uh, so good, you find a lot of relationships between state and locals, but that's where you're touching public. Right. When you get to the federal side, mm -hmm. uh, whether, and let's see, my federal career was the FCC, OPM, Treasury, and then finally the White House and, and OMB. Right. Um, you move through various levels of policy. It's sort of like the overarching term, um, ideas or concepts around things. So just sticking with accounting for a second, you know, those rules, I finally got to the, uh, when I got to OMB and into the controller's office, I realized uh, grant policy, overall grant policy is written and put in place by OMB. Right. Agencies right. then add onto that a level for their own grants. Mm -hmm. The Most of those grants go to states to administer and put out. And then again, from the states to the locals to actually deliver the services. Mm -hmm. And so you can see the, the cascading effect from one to another. Right. So it's kind of cool. Uh, yeah. And I think as you develop your career, you have to think a little bit. And I, I actually encourage everybody I know to try to work in the various levels of government. Mm -hmm. um, you get so much rich experience uh, from all those levels. And I think if you've worked in local government, it helps you tremendously in thinking about policies. And if you've had some exposure to writing any kind of policy, you suddenly have this realization that sitting in an ivory tower and writing a policy is great, but you have no idea how that's going to get implemented. Right. If you haven't been down there and experienced that and had to deal with it directly. Right. Yes. And so, uh, you know, whatever career people pick, I, I picked accounting. Sure. Um, within my accounting sphere, there were lots of opportunities, right? Mm -hmm. Westinghouse was a great employer. When I when I was there, they wanted me desperately to go to Phil, sorry, Pittsburgh, which mm -hmm. was their headquarters, because they said I had this concept of things that they could really use company-wide. I sort of had this real overarching need to give back. Right. I grew up in a family where we gave back a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I know I described my father as uh, helping operate a florist. Yeah. Um, and, and uh, you know, it was it was wild to see those things because it was a international corporation buying flowers and sending them out to individual florists that you may know anywhere. Hmm. And I remember getting in a car, going to the airport, picking up boxes of flowers and taking them to florists all over Maryland where we were. Yeah. Um, so that was like a delivery mechanism. But even then I realized the pitfalls of business. I wanted both mm -hmm. the security of being in government, mm -hmm. maybe not there as much as it used to be, uh, but also I had this really sense of doing something for other people. Right. So when I got into government with my passion for accounting, I found myself in accounting operations, always trying to do two things. One is improve the efficiency of what people got for their dollar. Mm -hmm. um, my friends would tell you that they can quote me as saying, I'm cheap. I'm the taxpayer. Mm -hmm. And so we in government ought to always think about that's not our money we're spending. Oh, yeah. So uh, so a little bit of that. Yeah. Uh, and a little bit about just needing to improve the delivery of service.
Okay. And that's actually, I heard that a lot from folks, just why they're in government accounting specifically. It's really they, they want to give back to the, to the public or to, to help folks out and to really believe in the missions and the, of their, those agencies. You know, what's really cool, Paul. Yeah. Um, when, when I first, I'm a little older. And so when I first got started, we heard it was the Kennedy effect. Mm. You know, uh, John Kennedy had come along. He stirred up generations of people. He accomplished some remarkable things. And so it motivated lots of people to get into government service. Um, but in the intervening years, especially the last 10, we had a lot of people who saw that they had better opportunity outside government. Mm -hmm. This class, this class today of people almost uniformly who are starting to grow up have a resurgence of dedication to others. Hmm. So to everybody out there, you did one really remarkable thing if you're older. You taught your kids that it was important to care about others. Right. And it's carrying through this current generation remarkably well. I'm not sure all of them would know who Kennedy was. But oh, what so. <laughs> they what they got from their parents yeah. was this, hey, maybe I should do something that's going to make government better for everybody. Right. It's, it's really neat to see if you're in government. You start to see, you, you put out feelers for kids to uh, do volunteer work, and lots of them show up. Right. Uh, it, it's just a remarkable thing to see that resurgence. Yeah, and I think I agree. I mean, a lot of millennials and folks I've talked to, I mean, I think— they realize, you know, there's issues that the world is changing, this climate, whatever it may be, what's important. And they, you know, these are things only really governments can help with, you know, private sector is part of it, but you know, government is going to have to lead initiatives to really, you know, get these things to, 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 to happen. Well, I hope that's the realization because, yeah. you know, we, we used to say when I first came into government that we never wanted to be on the forefront. We wanted to follow. Hmm. But I think in reality, government sets the tone. Yeah. You know, yeah. and the federal government sets the tone for state and locals. Be honest, I'd say the creativity in government occurs at states and locals. Mm. But the tone of what we're trying to accomplish always starts with the federal leaders. Right. And so um, it it is the federal government who's setting that tone. If you're out there and you want to have an effect, the only thing you have to think about in government is, have some experience with the locals, have some experience with how much change people can actually accept mm -hmm. and how change is implemented, and then move over. Come up to the federal level because yeah. you'll be informed in your policy discussions by how people can actually implement things. Climate is a great example. Yeah. You know, it, it, your comment was companies don't actually do that. I think companies actually do all of it. But the federal government's got to sit down and set the policy and the tone and for enable, what we're trying right, to do. The policies, the laws, the regs, exactly. Yeah, and then yeah, of course, then everybody, the private sector, everybody's part of the actual changes. Um, well, speaking of that, so now you know, so now you're you, you kind of you did this state and local thing. You want to get into the federal government? Tell us a little bit about why you did that. <clears throat> yeah. So so uh, when I was with Maryland and my uh, the treasurer I was working for is a wonderful lady named Lucy Mauer, mm -hmm. uh, out of Montgomery County, Maryland. Fabulous lady. She developed a brain tumor. Um, we had first thought she would make it through that. She was doing all kinds of treatments. But as, as it went on, a lot of us realized that there was going to be a terminal effect to this. Mm -hmm. And so um, me with my young family started looking. Uh, a couple of people told me that I really should be thinking about the federal government. Mm -hmm. So I put in those applications, right? Because it took a long time to get uh, sure. into federal employment. Still fact, can, right? <laughs> it took me about a year. Right. Uh, to, to get offers and I, I uh, 
applied to a number of accounting jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to be at a high level, so I was applying to CFO or deputy CFO jobs. Sure. And at the end of the day, I actually had two federal agencies call me and say, hey, you've wound up on this list. Would you come in for an interview? Mm-hmm. Uh, through, the, through the process, I actually picked the FCC. Uh, it was a great match. It's a uh, independent regulatory commission. Fabulous place to work. They had just broken up AT&T when I got there. Mm. Uh, so it, it was really a great place. So how far along were you in your career at this point that you made the transition? Yeah, so that was uh, about 1996. Mm-hmm. So, you know, looking back, I was 20 years okay. at the state, 19 years, nine months to be precise. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> so then I started a career with the feds and spent 20 years there before I left. So. Right. Okay. And it makes sense because, yeah, you want to, if you're going to move over, let's, let's do something. I want to be a CFO. I want to do something impactful. Yes. So you kind of move in. Uh-huh. Well, one of the other observations that I'd, I'd offer everybody out there, um, I made a mistake uh, a couple times, I made a lot of mistakes, but a couple big ones that I wish I'd written myself a letter and thought about. Um, one of one of which I, I tell people all the time, which is don't be afraid to change jobs. Hmm. Uh, it's, you know, I, I got very comfortable in my Maryland jobs. I worked at two jobs in Maryland, had 10 years in each. Um, in, in both jobs, I regularly changed functions. I started with the uh, internal ownership at agriculture. I wound up being the deputy uh, CFO, the CFO, the deputy of administration, mm-hmm. and then left uh, at treasurer's office. I was a office manager the first time. I was uh, deputy treasurer and then one of the chief deputy treasurer or the chief deputy treasurer for the state. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in the feds, I spent the first eight years at the FCC as the CFO. Right. Too long. Ah. Uh, we did some great things. It was wonderful. Uh, made probably some lifelong friends. Um, but I left there to go to OPM. Mm-hmm. Um, when I got to OPM, it was a it was a, a, a little light went off. A I could take my experience now and apply it differently, and I had these wonderful opportunities mm-hmm. to learn a whole bunch of new things. Right. Okay. And so yeah. it was cool. And I, so I spent four years at OPM and got offered this job in treasury. And it was the uh, a deputy, um, I'm gonna screw up the title here, but <laughs> the uh, deputy assistant secretary for accounting policy. Okay. Uh, working for a guy named Dick Gray, who was a great guy, uh, but it was a policy job. It got me back away from uh, the managerial job, which I had developed in all these CFO functions, mm-hmm. back to a little bit of a policy job and a creative job. And and there it was about thinking about accounting policy and treasury and for the federal agencies, because treasury has a role in writing accounting policy right. for, for the feds. Um, that was just a completely new thing for me. And at that point, I was also assigned this task of something called FIT, which was the yeah. Office of innovation and transformation. Right, right. Wow, what a what a cool thing that you could have a job yeah. now where you could just think outside the box and an opportunity to actually figure out how to implement some of that. Right. Yeah, we've had a lot of those folks on the podcast because they have so many interesting, innovative things happening over there. They do, and it, it was just this neat little incubator of ideas and concepts. Mm-hmm. So what a change, right? Four years in Treasury, and then an opportunity opened up 
at OMB. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I took the job over at OMB to be the uh, deputy controller. Right. Um, I would since say that a kind of a working rule for anybody who's thinking about it is think the three to five year cycles. Hmm. You know, when you get into a job in three years and you're doing kind of the same thing, if you're the kind of person who likes to get things done, you have accomplished the majority of the big things you got there to do. Right. So start thinking about what's next. Hmm. You don't have to move it three years because you don't want to take another job just to take another job. Right. But start to look around. Or a different function in your company or your agency. Yeah, or you don't have to leave the agency. Yeah. But think about the fact that you've now spent three years doing something relatively important. Mm-hmm. You have an opportunity to improve things there. So you should have a feel for what you liked and more than that, what you can get done. So let me ask you about these opportunities because this is, again, I think people always want to hear some career advice. You know, would you say, you know, you've been saying that, uh, you know, four years went by and then I had an opportunity here, opportunity there. Is that, how did those opportunities come to light for you? You know, do people come to you? Do you, are you out there looking actively? How, how did this come about? Well, I think earlier on here, we talked about relationships, right? Okay. So, I mean, I'll, let me talk about relationships yes. for a couple minutes because I think those opportunities all come through relationships. You, you remember the story of when I left the state of Maryland where my boss walked in and basically gave me four hours on my 19 year to career to pack up and move out. Right. And the phone call that my phone was ringing when I got home from Tom Hustis, who offered me a job. Yeah. Um, the Baltimore County job while I was at DC was a friend who I'd done a lot of accounting work for. Uh, and he had called me and said, hey, I heard that you left Maryland. Mm. He said, you know, you've done some great work with us on, on Maryland GFOA. And we, I'd really like to get you in. I'm trying to work on a Y2K project, and I just think you'd be the right guy. Right. Um, when I got to the FCC, I really walked into a completely new environment, right? Mm-hmm. I had never been a Fed. Right. Uh, this was intimidating. Uh, this was an agency uh, filled with engineers and lawyers. Mm. Uh, and so I'm dealing with a whole different group of people. Um, had to sit down and meet some people. Had to get involved mm. in in uh, uh, GFOA. Mm. Had to started to find some other things. AGA started to build those career links, mm-hmm. uh, which incidentally led me to OPM. Uh, Clarence Crawford was the CFO uh, when the job opened over there. Mm-hmm. Um, Clarence and I had met each other through. Clarence had had other jobs in the federal government. We had run across each other. We just knew each other. Right. I, I don't want to say that Clarence knew my skill set, but he had seen me in meetings. Right. He knew who I was. I had been presenting sometimes at places, so he knew what my basic understanding of facts were. Um, if you keep up that continuing education, in whatever that means, you need to stay current. You are then every time you speak somewhere or talk to people, Mm -hmm. not trying to impress them especially, but just demonstrating that you care enough to keep your skills up right? and that you have some basic skills. So that was OPM. It was Nancy Fleetwood who came to me at Treasury Hmm. uh, and said, hey, Mark, I got an idea. You should interview with Dick. Mm -hmm. Dick, Greg, and I had actually met each other back when I was in Maryland. Okay. Uh, the Treasury was doing uh, something on cash management, and they had picked me in Maryland to do a, a, a video with about talking about states' cash managements with the federal government. Mm-hmm. And we remembered each other. 
Right. And so that got me my job in Treasury. Uh, the next one, uh, one of the people who, when I took the Treasury job, I had to deal with every day was Norm Dung. Norm was the controller at that point at OMB. Mm -hmm. Norm and I had been friends, but I had been going to committee meetings for things at OMB. I had been in the leadership meetings, right. sometimes with the people at OMB. And so I went over there and had walked into uh, the then director of management at OMB and said, Norm's leaving, I'm at Treasury, we're working on things together, I really would like a chance. It's near the, the uh, twilight of my career and I'd like the last, um, portion of that to be at OMB helping write some policy. Right. Um, when I walked back, Dick met me at the door of Treasury and said to me, where have you been? And I said, well, I had, matter of fact, I was just over OMB talking to Beth Colbert. And he said, yeah, I know the deputy secretary just called me and said that you've, you're uh, transferring over there for a detail for six months. Mm -hmm. Went over there on the detail. Don't say no to an opportunity. Yeah, yeah. And uh, was over there six months when uh, Dave showed up. And my favorite story is Dave Mater and I met because I was the CFO at OPM. Dave was with Booz Allen. Mm -hmm. We had hired Booz to do a project for us. All the team for Booz were just wonderful people. He had come to a meeting. Remember I said how cheap I was when we started this. <laughs> I'm going around the room with introductions and my project manager from Booz is there and she introduces uh, Dave Mater, who's her partner. And I looked at Dave and said, how much are you charging me to come to this meeting? And he said, I, I don't know, it might be $750 an hour. I actually asked Dave to leave the room. <laughs> uh, we talked and I, I asked him to leave because I didn't need his management. His team was doing a great job. Right. And I didn't want to spend my $750 an hour for it. This is a fact Dave reminded me the day he became controller, <laughs> is that we'd met because I had had him escorted out of OPM. Right. Um, so you never know when you're going to meet people and who those people are going to wind up being. But if you leave a good impression, it's there for a very long time. Right. Absolutely. Well, and, um, you know, tell us a little bit about your involvement in, in other, you know, organizations. I mean, obviously AGA, because I feel like that's another huge way to just meet people and just put yourself out there and you're, you know, get, you know, do something you're really interested and passionate about. But tell us about some of that. Yeah, I think if, if you're a state or fed, mm -hmm. um, and even a local, especially if you're in a college and university system, the, the most important thing you can do is meet people like you yeah. and meet those people who are actually operating a level up from you. Mm -hmm. um, you're going to find that they have some cool ideas. And it, in most cases, the only thing you have to pay is that small fee to attend a meeting. Sure. Um, you know, I used to tell people when I'd speak at AGA events, get business cards from the five people sitting around you mm. because sooner or later you're going to have a question and now you've got a friend, you know, introduce yourself to people, right? Um, the best education, the best reference material you can get is not online. That's all fact-based. I'm all for fact-based. Right. Remember I'm a, I'm a traditional accountant, mm -hmm. but if I want to know whether something works and I want to know how to do it, and I want to know if somebody else has done it. I want to talk to somebody for a couple minutes. Right. And I want, when I call, for them to be willing to talk to me. And so uh, meeting people and doing those relationships is huge. Uh, and I, I, I can't speak highly enough about AGA for that. You know, in the federal space, 
AGA is so unique mm -hmm. in being able to bring state, locals, and federal officials together. Right. Uh, it, it is so critical. Um, I would encourage every state accountant out there to think about moving to the feds. Hmm. And actually, I would say to all the federal accountants is, go do a little time in a state. Yeah. Um, one of, when I was with treasurer's office, I used to always hire feds if we could find them because they hmm. came down to us with the knowledge of how things were done. Makes and, sense, yeah. and we would train the younger guys. And when they got to sort of careered out at a state, we would help them try to put in federal applications. Because imagine if I was a state official and I now had a former employee working in a federal agency. Mm -hmm. I had a contact. I had somebody I could call. Right. Imagine if I was the federal guy and I was trying to figure out a policy. I now had somebody I could call. So, you know, I can't speak highly enough about AGA. And when I retired, um, as some of you know, I still do some work for AGA. I, I do this one out of passion. Um, I am I, I, compensated by AGA for some of my expenses. Right. I like to tell Ann that I'm spending 50% of my time doing the volunteer part of AGA, like SEER and programs like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, about half of my time doing things that she's paying me to do, which is research studies, the intergovernmental committee, because you can see the passion. Intergovernmental brings people from state and local and feds together. Right. It is so much easier for all of us to do our work when we have those contacts and we hear each other talk. Right, absolutely. So just a few minutes left here, but uh, a couple more things I wanted to ask you about. And um, actually, kind of a little different here, but tell us how, you know, how, how have you been supported in your career with your family? I mean, you, you know, you're doing so much. You're, you know, taking these opportunities. I'm sure you're working crazy hours and going to conferences. You know, how, how does your family kind of. Yeah. So so picture this, you know, I'm I'm. I'm working five minutes from home when when we first started. Right. Uh, it was great. You know, my wife happens to be a state employee. Mm -hmm. She had a 35-year career before she recently retired. We only drove together for five days. Uh -huh. Now, okay. we worked sometimes across the courtyard from each other. Uh -huh. uh, but she, who was a senior manager in the controller's office in Maryland, uh, had a job where we could balance better. Mm. Uh, she could balance her time a little better. I'm the guy who always had to be somewhere. Right. So early on it was I'd drive by the house and she would have packed me a dinner because I had to go because a building was on fire in Baltimore and uh, the treasurer's office was the insurance broker for the whole state. It was, I was going off to a conference and we were gonna leave, I was gonna leave my three little girls with her. Mm -hmm. um, so I had lots of credit back to my wife who, yeah who decided early on that uh, we could have a better life if I did a lot of work. Not only did I have those jobs, but I was working for this credit union the whole time. Right. My hobby all this time was was helping run another business. Yeah, hold on the job. <laughs> it was wonderful though, because they the credit union, for instance, came along of its own volition and started to implement ERM. Oh, yeah. At the same time, the feds were talking about ERM. Okay. So I had a real live example out there of a company implementing ERM and what it was doing for them. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I'm writing ERM policy with the federal government. It, it was Perfect. fabulous. Um, busy. You know, yeah. uh, it, it, I, I give my wife and my three girls lots of credit. They put up with a lot. Um, <laughs> we had some great times. We had a lot of family vacations and things, yeah. but I was not home as much as I would like. We're up to uh, 
My one daughter had a baby just last week, so I, I got to count here for a second. We're up to nine grandchildren, wow. okay. uh, which are uh, very important at this point. Absolutely. So retirement came at a good time. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of my last question for you. You know, what are you going to keep yourself busy with now in retirement? I know you're so high energy. I can't imagine you taking much uh, time <clears throat> off here. Well, I, it, yeah, like my wife's comment about I'm back to 40 hours a week. Um, <laughs> It's been wonderful. Uh, one of the harder parts of working in D.C. is the commute. Of course. You know, right. mm. I, I encouraged my employees and I encourage federal agencies here today to really uh, do as much telework as you can do. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm finding for my work with AGA, I think I've been over to the office six times in the past year, maybe. Oh, wow. um, you know, because we can do a lot of work over the phone and conferences mm -hmm. and things and use those electronic mechanisms so I can stay involved and everybody else who has other jobs can still participate in things. This, the, using the emerging technologies are wonderful things and we need to right. think about that even more. Um, it, it would have been nice when, when, I, when the girls were little or if I could have carved out that space at home and uh, occasionally yeah. done things more from home instead of had the hour and a half commute. Right, for um, sure. So it, it that, I think, is a great benefit to the current uh, folks who are coming in. Okay. Yeah, but you're, but you're keeping busy, right? You got the, the, the credit union. So I got the credit union. They, uh, the board had come to me before I retired and said, hey, we need you to be chairman. I had held all the other offices. Uh, they are replacing their long-term president, uh, which we did this past year. Mm -hmm. uh, new guys come in. He's doing a great job. A lot of work when you try to replace the president of a $3.5 billion credit union. And we hmm. found a, a great guy who's a, a good candidate, but I had to do all the uh, really personnel-associated uh, activities with uh, hiring and writing plans and uh, doing all the interaction to get him started. So that was pretty busy. Yeah. Uh, I signed up with Ann to do this AGA stuff. Mm. Kia has drafted me like she's drafting all of you into doing SEER and other yeah, programs mm -hmm. uh, voluntarily. Uh, and so I think this year has been more my first attempt at actually spending a little more time at the beach and spending a little more time out on that plastic watercraft that I've had for years and right. haven't used very much. All right. Well, thanks, Mark. This has been fascinating. I could do two or three more podcasts. I have so many questions, but hey, maybe I'll entice you back another day. Yeah, you can get me back anytime. I, if I leave your our audience with a couple of things. Yeah, please do. One is, please don't stop that education. You didn't learn enough in school. <laughs> things are changing, and you just need to listen to people talk. Make sure that you meet people. Uh, you don't have to like everybody you meet. You may not like people at all, but you can. You will meet people who you do like and who can be of tremendous help to you in the future when you might have a situation and you don't even know that they're going to be the person to call you on the phone and offer you a job someday. Um, don't say no. Uh, you know, you can always change what somebody asked you to do a little bit, but Try to avoid that word entirely. It's just such a terrible thing to look someone in the eye and just say no. Um, and above all else, no matter what, in your life, do the right thing. Remember that accounting specifically is a fundamental principle, right? As long as we account for things under the standards and keep them right, we can compare them to others. We can look at and know what things cost us. We can do a better job of making sure that the people who are in office trying to do policy things 
we can see the effects of that. So take your accounting careers very seriously um, and realize that that's a skill set that's fundamental principle for all of us. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us today. Gladly. That's our show. Thanks for listening. Check us out at agacgfm.org. Many podcasts there for you to check out. We're now in the new fiscal year, so uh, looking to set up a whole bunch of new podcasts. So until next time, this is your host, Paul Marshall, signing off for Accountability Talks with AGA.